0: Welcome to Oceania Currents, a podcast series from the Center for Pacific Island Studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Away, away, away. We bring you voices, stories, and Talanoa with criss crossing currents between the past, present, and future that flows deep and across Oceania and beyond. Aloha Maikako, Maloi Lele, Kona Maori, and many other Pacific Island greetings. This episode is called Home Currents, Part One, and takes you on a journey of stories about our home, the Center for Pacific Island Studies, or SIPES. In 2025, SIPES will celebrate its 75th year anniversary. The past seven decades were filled with wonderful memories, stories, experiences and achievements.
1: CPIS mission is to bring together people and resources to promote an understanding of the Pacific Islands and issues of concern to Pacific Islanders. The Center partners with the Department of Pacific Island Studies, which offers MA and BA degrees in Pacific Island Studies. In these first two episodes, we hear the stories and experiences of three people who have worked and studied at the Center. They are Emeritus Professor Terence Wesley Smith, Professor Katerina Taewa from the Australian National University, and Professor Alexander Moyer, who is the current CEPIS director.
0: Katerina and Alex are both alumni of the center's MA program. To help us navigate home currents, I am Tasisius Kabutaulaka from the Centre for Pacific Island Studies. And I am Kenji Cataldo, an MA student and graduate assistant at CIPIS. Our first guest today is Terence Wesley Smith, who served as professor in the Center for Pacific Island Studies at UH Manoa for nearly four decades. He was the center director and graduate chair for eight years and editor for the center's journal, The Contemporary Pacific, from 2008 to 2015. Terence, welcome to Oceania Currents. Can you tell us about the history of CIPIS and the discipline of Pacific Island Studies?
2: Sure, and it's great to be back and good to talk about CPIS and its history. The history starts as a program, right? So in 1950, University of Hawaii decided to authorize an MA in Pacific Island Studies. And um, that started in 1950. The first graduate didn't come till 1960, I believe. Um, But things really started to move when the university hired a full-time professor, which was Robert C. Keist, um, to organize things. And it was really his work that led to the formation of an actual center. So, for. Many years, we were both a program and a center. But the center, I think, is formalized in the 1980s and becomes part of something called SHAPS, School for Hawaiian, Asian and Pacific Studies. So it's put together with a lot of other centers and to and a standalone unit called SHAPS.
0: But why, why did the university see a program in Pacific Studies as important at that particular time?
2: I think there was a there was a longer history of people doing Pacific related topics, but through the disciplines. So, if you look at the library collection, there's a lot of older theses that had to do with parts of the Pacific, um, and then. Uh, but a lot of the impetus was was uh, the ability to get money from the federal government, because after World War II. The federal government was very keen on, on upping the uh, knowledge about other regions and countries it, for Americans. So they began to make money available. So the university was positioned well to compete for that money.
0: And um, the center, what initially, what was its task? Uh,
2: it was mostly driven by the um, the federal grants that funded a lot of the activity. And the and the main impulse there was to educate Americans about foreign places. So a lot of the activities were uh, a lot of the money was put into language development so that UH became a, a big center of Pacific Island language teaching and learning. Um, also outreach was a big early focus and remains so. So uh, CIPES has had an outreach coordinator for a long, long time, and the the idea being to uh, disseminate information about the region to the general public.
0: So that brings us to this idea of area studies, which became important in the US in the post-Second World War period. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how Pacific studies as a discipline emerge and how it has evolved over time.
2: Yeah, it's, the history of area studies is interesting because in the Western University, uh, most campuses are organized around disciplines and area studies stands out as something different. Uh, they're not discipline-based. They're based on the idea of some area of the world, which, in, for an for an intellectual point of view, is a very strange concept. Um, so, but the the impulse to to organize around areas essentially came from this what I've called a pragmatic approach, which was U.S. interests in learning about foreign places. As somebody once said, learning about your friends and about your enemies, and um, so that provided a general umbrella for organizing around an area, and uh, that that is that was the prevailing model for many years, and in many area studies programs, it remains the model and the impulse. for For us in Pacific Island Studies. Uh, we, we started to feel uncomfortable with that model because it seemed to me and others, my colleagues, that w- what we were doing was uh, producing knowledge for the United States foreign policy. And so it, it, it came down to the idea that we were furthering a, essentially a colonial project that this production of knowledge was an extension of a colonial desire to control. Mm-hmm. So
0: talk a little bit about Pacific studies as a discipline and how it is different from or similar to other areas studies like you know Korean studies or Southeast Asian studies and so forth.
2: I think one of the differences is that we have thought about these issues and confronted them and built them into wh- how we do things at cepis and i i really think that's unusual i'm not aware of other uh, programs in asian studies for example where they take that take a lot of time to discuss with their students why they're doing what they're doing and how you know how it might be done better it's very much a again, a pragmatic, instrumental approach to, to learning. And I think so our program, I think, was distinguished by actually thinking through some of those issues and having our students think through the issues as well so that they could rationalize why they were doing what they were doing, who it was for, and in, in other words, to explore this nexus between knowledge and power. And I don't think that other area studies programs have really done that or not to the extent that we've done it. They're more interested in the fact that they can get funding and they can, um, you know, fund programs and university-based programs and produce reports and scholarship.
0: I I assume our student population has changed over the the decades. And increasingly, we see a lot of Pacific Island students, whether they're coming from other Pacific Islands or students in the diaspora. How has that, you know, influenced the the discipline, the program?
2: I think it's had a huge influence. Initially, the program was set up um, to the the students in the program in the early years uh, were mostly uh, people who'd uh, were heading for a career in the Foreign Service or who had been Peace Corps and had some Pacific experience. Um, when I, shortly after I joined the program in the, in the mid-80s, we had a huge demographic shift and we had a lot of people coming into the programs who were of Hawaiian ancestry. And that reflected the fact that Hawaiian Studies was flourishing on the campus Students were being produced at the BA level, but they didn't yet have an MA in in Hawaiian Studies. So, the sort of default was us. And it had a huge impact on us because those students were fired up. They were committed. They were on a mission. And us in the program, we couldn't ignore that. It was a pressure to do things differently, to think differently about what we were doing.
1: Professor do you were, I guess, comparing Pacific studies to some of the other area studies in terms of their critical reflection on power and, and and knowledge production. I would love to hear your thoughts on Pacific studies as a way of approaching, say, Pacific history that's distinct from Pacific history as a discipline. You know, what are between the, the disciplines that have engaged with the Pacific and Pacific studies as an engagement, uh, what you see there?
2: Yeah, that's, it's, it's an interesting nexus because our program by, by default or Pacific Studies by default is interdisciplinary. And, it, and it's always, Area Studies has always said we're interdisciplinary because we're not in any one discipline. But the question of what interdisciplinary means is um, something that we still grapple with. How how does that translate into how a graduate student goes about constructing a PhD or an MA project, and it's it's still very unclear. But I think um, you know the fundamental difference uh, is that in history, the pr- primary um, loyalty and commitment of people. Historians is to the discipline of history, right? So, their discipline of history is their milieu. And what you do within that is supposed to contribute to the discipline of history. That's how you're going to be judged. But in Pacific Studies, our primary commitment is to Pacific Islands and islanders. That's the central focus. Does this empower? Does it not empower? What are the situations from that perspective? And that's a huge difference. It doesn't mean that you can't marry the two, but it's a, st- it's a different starting point. And reminder along the way for a, for a person doing research is why am I doing this? And, and um, you know, I think that's, that's a significant difference. But people like David Hanlon and and Monica Labriola now and others in history. You know, they're working with some of the same ideas. So it's not as if you can't do what we're doing in the discipline. It's just it's a different context.
0: You've written a lot about Pacific Studies as a discipline. Um, and I think, you know, your work is still very influential uh, in both our classroom as, broad, as well as broader discussions. And I wonder if you could reflect as a person who has worked as a professor in Pacific Island Studies and has led the program for
2: many years. I think it's been life-changing for me. Um, I didn't, you know, it was not, not a career journey that I would have ever imagined. I sort of stumbled into it um, by a series of decisions. Um, first of all, I was you know I got interested in the Pacific in New Zealand. I was a new new arrival in New Zealand, went back to university, was determined to learn all I could about the region and that took me to focus on actually on Papua New Guinea. and then I had an east-west centre opportunity that was too good to turn down, to come here and do my PhD work. And that launched me into a whole different world than I would have anticipated. And even when I was doing my PhD here, focused on Bougainville, the island of Bougainville, and the impact of the giant Panguna mine there, and I was grappling with issues of development and underdevelopment and inequality and decolonization. Um, I still didn't could, I um, could imagine myself possibly being in a political science department, but the opportunity came up to work in Pacific Island Studies because Bob Keist had a, had won a position and he and I'd worked together on stuff, and so it it was sort of an opportunity again, I couldn't turn down, but it was very confronting after I settled in, you know, how how could I make sense of this, especially with all these currents on the campus, you know, an outsider teaching Pacific Island studies. And I was forced to confront that, whether I liked it or not. And so my way of dealing with that really was to to explore and, and see how the program could adapt to accommodate the new currents that were, that were so important and to be committed to that. And so intellectually, it, it was challenging, but hugely satisfying to that feeling of being part of something that's critical, that's important, and um, working with students who felt the same way.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Terence Wesley-Smith, for taking the time to have conversation with us. It, it's always fascinating and a privilege to uh, to talk to you. CEPIS graduates are
1: found in different professions and in different parts of the world. They are in academia, government organizations, NGOs, community work, and others. Our second guest, Katerina Teawa is a CEPUS alumna and now professor at the Australian National University in Canberra.
3: Maori and Bola Vinaka, thank you so much for having me on this inaugural uh, podcast. It's very exciting. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what kinds of stories and discussions emerge from your um, conversations with those of us who have long uh, and deep connections to the Center for Pacific Island Studies at UH Manoa. So, yes, I am a graduate and I was a student at CIPIS from 1996 to 1999. So quite a while ago, Um, but I had just come out of um, Santa Clara University. Where I did my undergraduate in um, combined sciences, which basically meant I did all kinds of things and couldn't figure out (laughs) what my major was after going through four years um, at Santa Clara University. But um, my elder sister recommended I apply to the Center for Pacific Island Studies um, because she was doing a master's in history or she had just completed a master's in history at UH Manoa and she had been noticing, you know, um, the important teaching about the region that was going on at the master's level at CIPIS. So I applied and was accepted. And I remember thinking that the kind of application that I wrote to CIPIS was something like I had never written before. And something that I'd never been given an opportunity to write about before. And I think um even writing that essay, which was about being Banaban, coming from Fiji, being part of a minority community there and trying to understand my grandparents who had come from Kiribati, from Banaba and Tabitawea, um just writing that essay and then being accepted into the program with a tuition waiver. Um, opened a door to thinking about what it meant to be a Pacific Islander with this kind of history, this kind of history of displacement and not living in a country that you were Indigenous to. It opened up that door and I have to say nothing was the same ever again after that. Um, So it was absolutely critical to my career, but I think also just to my my growth and development as a human, just as a, you know, just as a normal person and a Pacific Islander who came from a, a family of girls, you know, who were always, um, always keen and interested in acad- academics because our te- our parents were teachers and who were passionate about education, but not really having the kind of education that connected to who we were as people, who we were as as a community or as uh, Ikiribas or Banabans living in Fiji, as Microne- Micronesians living in a um, Melanesian and Polynesian context. Um, there were so many gaps in our education that Cipas, uh was absolutely formative in um, shaping everything I did after that period. So I was, you know, I think I was 21 when I started at Cepis and nothing was ever the same again. Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty critical.
0: And, and uh, to you, what, what exactly is Pacific Studies?
3: Well, the kind of Pacific Island Studies we were doing in the mid to late 1990s and the kinds of Pacific Studies that exist today, there are some similarities and there are quite a lot of differences. Um I think UH Manoa had a very interdisciplinary approach and maybe a more thematic kind of approach that allowed for us to do a little bit of everything you know a bit of politics a bit of history a bit of anthropology a bit of cultural studies a bit of geography and the center of everything we were doing was the Pacific the center of everything we were doing was Fiji or Samoa or Kiribati or Tonga or uh, FSM or Marshall Islands. And so just that um, that approach alone that put the region and islands and countries within the region at the center was in and of itself a different approach than what you would get if you were doing an anthropology class or a history class or a political science class, or a geography class, or any other field where the purpose was to teach you theories and methods of the field and the discipline, rather than focus on your an engagement with place. And so Pacific Studies for me was important because it put our region and our islands front and center. So that was the first really really important thing for me. I mean it just changed my whole way of thinking about everything from the local to the national to the regional to the global. If you put the Pacific at the center, your whole framework, your whole uh methodological toolbox, your values, your ethics, everything is is transformed. So you're not here to reproduce what the great thinkers of anthropology going back to who knows when have been thinking and doing you're not here you're not slotting yourself into their genealogies of thought you're here to study learn about appreciate and be humbled in the face of an extremely complex oceanic region so that was the kind of specifics that kind of blew my mind and then we were able to drill down to who we were, depending on what kind of thesis topic we were focusing on. So for example, I chose something that was more um, in, in Barnabin history. So I chose Barnabin history to, to focus on. And I, um, you know, my uh, thesis panel was how Nani K. Trask, um, David Hanlon, Terence Wesley Smith, and so while I was learning about this broader context of regional dynamics, regional histories and things like development, for example, I was able through my own thesis topic to go into uncovering and unpacking and learning more about, in this case, mainly the colonial histories behind Banaba, uh, phosphate mining the extraction of phosphate and the displacement of people from Banaba to Fiji in 1945. So it was like I had a really diverse and interesting toolbox to think about this history and the broader Pacific. That toolbox was interdisciplinary. And then it was also quite island-focused, regional focused, and in and and really. Uh, gave space to indigenous approaches and ways of thinking and knowing and being as well. There was also a bit of a space opened up for the arts, but that wasn't fully um, articulated or fully engaged at the time that I was doing my master's. Um, it was really mainly, the you know, like the classical social science and humanities fields and the arts were kind of peripheral. Um, But there was still this kind of possibility that was given for, well, if you have to think about this through the arts, we can do that. We can do that too, except we're not experts on Pacific arts. So, you know, we mainly had political scientists, development experts, historians, and anthropologists uh, in Pacific Island studies at the time, most of whom were not pacific islanders themselves were not indigenous to the pacific and yet they were quite um they were not gatekeepers like i think i think this is a very important thing is that the uh, the vibe of a lot of the professors that we had at the time was not to shut down and close up the the possibilities of different ways of doing pacific studies it was um They had their own limitations of their understanding and approaches to the Pacific, but they opened the space for students to actually come up with their own approaches and open up the whole field, drawing upon their own experiences as Pacific Islanders. And there was a lot of pressure for that coming from um, Kanaka Maoli, from indigenous Hawaiians who were pushing that in their own spaces, like in Hawaiian studies. And so there was quite a momentum. In Indigenous studies around the region, that then helped Pacific studies open up to Pacific Islander-centered ways of knowing and being and learning and doing, um, especially in terms of teaching and research. So all of that stuff was happening in the 1990s, and and Terence always says that our cohort at that time became this very special cohort that then went on to like grow and progress pacific studies in other ways all across you know the region uh, Australia, Aotearoa New Zealand, the United States, etc. It was like we were that generation that was so hungry for this and then thought to ourselves oh, well, we know some other ways of doing this, so we'll just go and keep keep working at it. Um, and, and it became our careers. But I don't think at the time that people like myself, April Henderson, Alex Moya, Keith Camacho, like I don't think we were sitting there going, oh, we're going to be academics. I think probably none of us, except maybe Alex <laughs> thought they'd be academics, maybe Keith. Um, but we were just so deeply uh, engaged we were so deeply engaged with what we were learning we were pushing back we were critiquing we were asking questions we were enjoying what we were learning it was so relevant to our lives that we then continued with it to the phd level and beyond so i would say it was it was that empowering it was that complex it was that challenging and it was that interesting and exciting to be doing Pacific Island Studies at that time.
1: We'll return to our conversation with Katerina Teawa to hear about the Pacific Studies program she founded at ANU in our next episode. Right now, though, we want to introduce our third guest to carry our story of CIPIS up to the present.
0: Alexander Moya is the current director of the Center for Pacific Island Studies and the first CIPIS alum to become director. He is also the current Graduate Chair for the Department of Pacific Island Studies. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experiences as a MA in Pacific Island Studies student, and particularly as somebody coming from Outside of the Pacific or somebody uh, who is who is not of Pacific descent
4: uh, Mahalo uh, Tara and Kenji for the opportunity to be here and thanks so much for your work in this initiative. Uh, it's such a pleasure to join you this this morning and to extend this conversation. I joined the MA program in Pacific studies in in the middle of the 1990s. Uh, th- uh, it's so interesting a uh, uh, tempest fugit time flies like an arrow and so so swiftly the river of time flows it's interesting to be asked to look back at that er- earlier moment but when i came to cepus uh at the time it was only the center for pacific Island studies of course when i came to cepus in 1996 the space of pacific studies was was uh, it was a very different space uh, the Unit At the time was uh, 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 directed by uh, Bob Keist and uh, um, also consisted of Vilsoni Heronico and Terence Wesley Smith as the sort of core faculty, along with the publications um, initiative. And those 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 three colleagues were in the process of. Uh, I think transitioning from an earlier model of Pacific Studies to I think what we tend to think of these days as the Manoa School of Pacific Studies, Terrence had just published his famous now 1995 piece, um, helping us all rethink Pacific Studies, um, uh, identifying uh, the prior pragmatic and laboratory rationales famously and uh, as as old currents and highlighting or framing the opportunity to engage in a new kind of scholarship. Um, something that we, we, you know, he called empowerment and that, 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 I think we've all been inspired by and organized by in the decades since as a student in 1996 here in a, in a, in an MA cohort that included, uh, Kati and April Henderson and Keith Camacho and, um, other, other wonderful colleagues who were here on campus at the time, Anne Hattori, Lola Bautista, others who are still part of our Pacific Studies community. It was, a, it, was a, it was a vital time and a, and a fertile time, but it um, uh, was just a few years, one might remember, after the Oev documentary, Acts of War. Um, it was the era of Clinton, of course, and the apology or at least acknowledgement of U.S. occupation of Hawaii. Um, it was uh, uh, an era in the wake of the final official you know decolonial actions in the North Pacific for the former Ttpi. So as a student, um, I would say you know, uh, for me, uh, uh, there are a couple of things that linger in my memory. It was an unsettling period, right? there was there was, there was there was there was unsettlement happening for for all of us, I think because of the Politics of place here in Hawaii, where UH Manoa is located, it was it was a, a, an exciting period, because of that same unsettlement. When 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 things become fluid again, when things become open, when things become visible, change can happen. So I, I remember being inspired and motivated by the sense of possibility and change that that goes with um, I think Terence's work and the work of others in that period. Uh, think all of us are moving through the world in these curious and and complicated paths so how we fall into one disciplinary space or one interdisciplinary space or another can be quite challenging to uh reconstruct over time for me i think it was a series of accidents the opportunity the privilege of visiting um um, uh, communities in fiji in the wake of of some of the earlier coups in the early 90s the accident of of life of finding myself pulled to hawaii um by my, 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 my person, the person I'm, I'm still married to all these years later, um, uh, the encounter with uh, Pacific Studies, Hereniko, Keist, Wesley Smith, the opportunity to study with them as part of discovering that complexity and richness and diversity of the world, but also the um, perhaps one of the hard stories of Pacific Studies, the fact that the region has been so misrepresented, so poorly understood um, uh, uh, outside, of, outside of the region um, where all stories are home, right? That that encounter with my own, I think, uh, 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 unknowingness, or or uh, the possibility of of re presentation of re knowing, was uh, was was inspiring for me. Definitely a strong pull to Pacific Studies. So you
0: you were the first uh, M A in Pacific Island Studies alum to become in a director of the center and now acting chair of the department. Can you talk a little bit about that journey from being a student? Now you are the director of the Center for Pacific Island Studies.
4: Thanks so much for this question, Tara. You know, um, weirdly enough, uh, that I had been on this journey only became visible a few weeks ago when uh, Dr. Kati Taiwa was here um, visiting in preparation for her wonderful, wonderful exhibition at the Bishop Museum called Project Banaba. And she's like, you know, you're the first of our graduates to become director. And I said, really? Is that true? And, and uh, uh, evidently it is. It is true. Um, I, 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 I don't know how it happened. You know, it's a, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, for any of our listeners who uh, are, are, are thinking about their own career paths or journeys either behind them or, or before them proleptically, um, it's a curious thing to discover that life is not always a series of, of choices that are obvious to you at the time. Um, I, couldn't, I could not have known or imagined that I would ever have the opportunity or privilege of returning to sepis this home place. I could never have imagined that I would ever have the opportunity to, to, to serve for um, a term as director, and i um, looking forward to when my term is over, um, seeing who, who takes on that responsibility next. Um, I do see it as a form of service, and I think that was part of my journey, the sort of um, uh, what can I do to return um, all that I've received from Pacific Studies and knowing that that in fact I've received so much that I could never return it all, right? So as, 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 as part of my journey, that service orientation and carrying the weights I can carry during my time has certainly been, been part of my story here at the center, but I, I, I couldn't have known when I when I went off um, with my Pacific Studies MA um, that I would ever have an opportunity to return back to to, to Manoa, and I, and I didn't. It wasn't a it wasn't a journey I, I navigated or planned when when an opportunity to return home to Hawaii uh, emerged and and um, and became possible. Um, even even then, I'm not sure I had a sense that the, you know what responsibilities would be mine. I knew I would have responsibilities, um, but 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 uh, this particular honor or privilege is is un- has has been unexpected in my career path.
0: And and uh, you know if, if we could spend a bit of time talking about uh, what the center and the departments do uh, for our listeners, just so that they know what are the things
4: that we do. Oh my gosh. This is a great question, and it's so interesting. A moment, uh, a moment ago, I was chatting about the origin of Pacific Studies here at UH Manoa. 1950, um, we had a slightly different name at the time, but the the unit that eventually became the Center for Pacific Island Studies is rooted nearly 75 years ago. Our first MA. Dr. Marion Carly, she became a doctor afterwards, of course. Our first MA, 1960, many MAs since. In 1973, the center, we, we believe, became a, uh, for the very first time a uh, recipient of federal research funds under Title VI as a Title VI National Resource Center for the Pacific Islands. That's, so we've been an NRC for almost 50 years as well. Extraordinary, um, uh, extraordinary history. The center has produced thousands of MAs in Pacific Studies, many of whom have gone on to distinguished roles in governance, management of um, natural resources, um, political lo- roles or lives across the region, um, doctoral degrees and professorships at universities across Oceania, Australia, United States, Europe, even East Asia. We've um, uh, uh, we've this distinguished history as the Center for Pacific Island Studies, which always had both an MA program, a research program, and an outreach or community service program, including our our, our significant publication series since um, since the dawn of time, um, with the occasional papers in South Seas Books, which eventually became the Pacific Islands Monograph Series, and in, beginning in 1989, the Contemporary Pacific, our field-leading journal of Pacific Studies, with um, shouts out to Oceania and Topcha, and, the JPS and all of our other colleagues and their wonderful journals too, um, just a little biased. But but um, uh, for all of these years, CEPIS was the home for all of the primary initiatives here at our university, our educational initiatives as professors, our publications initiatives, our research initiatives and our community outreach initiatives. During the pandemic uh, in a fairly large reorganization here at UH Manoa, um, for reasons that are uh, probably would be difficult to scrutinize and um, difficult to unpack. Uh, the university um, uh, identified several units that had tenure homes for professors that were not located inside departments. Um, they no- they noticed that there were several units that had essentially departments without being departments. An academic department is r- typically responsible for um, the educational um, successes and challenge and help our students navigate the challenges of their educational paths in a BA, MA or doctoral program or certificate program and so on. So the university reorganized our center with its 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 long and distinguished history as both a center for Pacific Island studies and an affiliated Department of Pacific Island Studies. And today we have, t- some of us belong to two different units. So we have um, uh, uh, now a department, which like any academic department is responsible for providing courses, um, It's home to uh, tenured or tenure track faculty, um, has uh, uh, responsibilities to uh, uh, direct student education, and the success of our of our MABA and graduate certificate programs, very very straightforward standard academic role, and what's uh, um, um, what's distinct about the department is the department's the department's responsibilities. It's kuleana, are are very limited or uh, bounded by those educational missions, the standard missions of an academic department. Um, The center still exists, it's alive and well. I I think it's for the most part thriving in many of its domains. Um, And the center is now um, um, quite crisply the home for our um, uh, collective research initiatives and our community outreach initiatives. So uh, uh, it's a really, um, uh, as well as our publication initiatives and so on. Um, so it's a really, um, actually it was a hard line as, uh, you know, Tara, as you know, and, and, Kenji, my sense, it was a hard transition in our, our first years, but from, from where I sit today, it, it's been a helpful transition. And I, I obviously I can't speak for all, all of us or all of our colleagues in this, but you know, the fact that now we have a department that, that just, you know, here's the student assessment, here's the success indicators for your academic programs, here's the, the need to hire lecturers for the, the, le- you know, lectureships, here's. Um, course enrollments and registration issues and undergraduate and graduate advising, all of those roles and tasks of the department are now very crisply visible on an org chart for the university. Um, we receive actually funding supports from the university that we did not used to receive now that we are a department. So um, that budgetary difference is real and is is helpful and it's just, um, it's taken a few years, but it's getting ever more um, um crisp and maybe this is not so interesting to listeners out there in the in the podcast verse the pod verse or I don't know if we're um, if we're part of the Pacific studies verse pack verse um like the Marvel verse or something or the extended Pacific studies universe um we'll, we'll have to come up with some 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 labeling here but the um the department is so well bounded I think that's helping us identify what changes we might need to make in our ba programming in our graduate programming because the world is, the, the the world is in mo- motion; it's a fluid world, and there are new issues and new concerns alongside the profound, grounded concerns of our students with respect to this region of care. Um, and the center, meanwhile, is continuing much as it always has. Again, it's it's this it's the centering; it's the center for our publications, our collaborative research goals, our community service goals. So, you know, one thing that's really quite special, I think, um, here, it's not unique at this university, and it's not unique at every university, but it is distinctive everywhere you find it. Those of us who have the privilege to work in both the, the department and the center, you know, we have an official outlet for some of, our, some of our care, our sense of responsibility, our sense of service. So the center provides a space of service for us, for our communities, uh, communities beyond the walls of the university, especially, whereas the department is really quite specifically responsible for what happens inside the academy. As a center, we are engaged in supporting colleagues across the region, um, publications, initiatives for pedagogical materials, for instance, that'll be used uh, in classrooms in Oceania, and the continent, in Europe. Uh, the center, we, were, we, we we can support, oh gosh, local artists. We just had a round table on Monday this week. What, what a privilege of Micronesian artists working in several media in partnership with the library. At the center, we can support library collections, things that a department would rarely ever be directly involved in. Here at the center, we can, uh, here's a classic thing for us, you know, we, we, we look for grant supports that allow us to directly support our library, the Hamilton Pacific Library Collection, our incredible colleagues there, so that we maintain, we help maintain, so that we, UH Manoa, and then we, the center, help maintain through our partnership with the library the, you know, the world's finest collection of Oceania-facing materials and so on. So the center is this really quite distinctive unit. Uh, most of us uh, in the academy have a sense of how departments work, but um, centers and, and, you know, units like this are, are, are special. And it's such a, such a privilege to see, the, you know, the chance to, to, to build an academic life between these two goals, our individual goals as educators and scholars with our own scholarly passions and interests. But at the same time and officially in parallel, Our our, responsibility is to care for the people around us, for the world around us, for the well-being of Oceania and its peoples and places.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Alex Moyer, for joining us uh, and for giving time to uh, share your experiences and knowledge with us.
4: Oh, gosh. Tara, Kenji, thank you so much for, for all that you're doing for our center and our community. Aloha.
1: A quick correction shared by Alex after our interview. He had said Stipas awarded its first MA in 1960, but it was actually a few years earlier than that, in 1956. To close today's episode, we return to Terence, who shared his reflection about changes he has observed in the field.
2: I I was at a conference uh, at the Australian National University in April this year. It was was, uh, convened by my former student, Katerina Tewa, and it was an extraordinary event. You, you appeared, of course, uh, remotely. Um, it was an extraordinary event, just looking out at, at an assembled, uh, large audience, almost all of whom were Pacific Islanders or um, Indigenous Australians. And it was just visually, it was a massive shift because when I wrote the paper, Rethinking Pacific Island Studies. I finished that when I was on sabbatical leave at ANU in the mid-90s. And part of my duties as a visiting scholar was to do a presentation. And I did a presentation of that paper, Rethinking Pacific Island Studies, where I talked about you know, the pragmatic and the laboratory and the empowerment. And it was an audience of white people. Uh, who are thoroughly unimpressed and you know the questions were very were they were they weren't friendly they weren't supportive and to go back to that same venue and see the shift over 30 uh, something years is is amazing so you know i'm I'm really optimistic there's a whole generation of people out there who are committed to the ideas that that came to the fore back then, and um, it also struck me that Pali Haofa, who was very instrumental in providing impulse for this movement, he would be surprised and hopefully delighted to to see what's happened in the last while. <laughs>
0: Oceania Currents is produced by the Center for Pacific Island Studies with support from the U.S. National Resource Center. A big foiexia
1: to John Talcave for composing and performing the theme music. Siju Maase Randija Chrysostomo for designing our logo. Our thanks to the CEPA staff for supporting this project, Director Alexander Moyer, Outreach Director
0: Foley Fallsgraf, and Academic Support Jennifer Mercado. Special gratitude to the Center for Learning and Technology for the use of their recording studio, in particular Robert Wong, Nikki Naimi, and director Julio Rodriguez. We are your hosts, Tasisus Kabutaulaka and Kenji Cataldo. next episode, Home Currents Part 2, we continue our conversations with Terence, Cathy and Alex about the voyages of Pacific Studies and the many forms it has taken in its different locations.